Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Artemis Simopoulos. Dr. Simopoulos has written extensively about genetic variation and nutrition, evolutionary aspects of diets and fatty acids, and on the role omega-3 fatty acids have on our health and disease. She has edited over 50 books and journal supplements, in addition to publishing over 365 scientific papers. She is also the author of the Omega Diet book and multiple more uh, things that I just can't squeeze into this intro. But Artemis, thank you so much for coming on for an episode for today. It's my pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, um, you know, so I'm excited to have you on because if anyone does any research online or in PubMed looking for uh, research papers about the omega-6 to 3 ratio, your name just keeps coming up and up and up. You're just all over the place because you're the expert on this. Because I started long, long ago before anyone else even thought about it. (laughs) And that's why I'm glad I've got you on to explain what is this ratio and why it's so important for us to know about. So my first question for you is how would you explain what is the omega-6 to 3 ratio to someone who's never heard heard about it before? Okay, uh, but I know that um, the audience and a lot of people have heard about fatty acids and they have heard about essential fatty acids. And the term essential fatty acids refers to two families of fatty acids, the omega-6 fatty acids and the omega-3 fatty acids. And the reason they are called essential is because unlike all the other fatty acids, the omega-6 and omega-3 cannot be made by the body and they have to be obtained by the diet. And throughout evolution, the amounts of uh, fatty acids of the omega-6 family and the amounts of fatty acids of the omega-3 family they were obtained from the food that people ate in practically equal amounts. Um, So from the evolutionary standpoint, it's very important to understand that the omega-6 and the omega-3 were equal. They were in balance. And this balance is essential uh, for our health. Because these two families are physiologically and metabolically distinct and they have opposing properties. So they need to be obtained from the diet in equal amounts. They should have a ratio of about one or at the most two to one of omega-6 to omega-3. And now, why were... it is important mm-hmm. to know, right, the ratio. Mm. Um, the omega-6 fatty acids are pro-inflammatory. And they, we know that all chronic diseases, such as obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, arthritis, at the base, they have a lot of inflammation. They are inflammatory diseases. 
and the high amounts of omega-6 fatty acids that are in our diets today, they increase the risk for the development of these diseases. So another question might be, is why do we have so much omega-6 in our diets today? And this happened shortly after the Second World War, when in the United States, they began to develop vegetable oils from corn and sunflower and safflower, cotton seed, soybean, all these oils began to flood the food supply. And the percentage of uh, omega-6 fatty acids in those oils is extremely high. For example, um, corn oil is 66% omega-6. Sunflower is 77%. So these high amounts of omega-6 fatty acids in the food supply, they change the ratio and they increase the inflammatory aspects of human metabolism. Mm-hmm. And, and so with uh, this has already got me thinking then. So when you said evolution, we, it was closer to one-to-one, the ratio. So right. pr- prior to the World Wars, we didn't have access to these refined seed oils. And then uh, after that is when we got access to them. Yes, yeah. because, because, you know, food technologies began to prepare all kinds of foods, and they needed cheap oils. And these were the cheapest oils available. They were easy to grow. And um, they they were easy to be incorporated uh, into all kinds of foods and um, snacks. And um, they became extremely prominent. Now, another reason why they became very prominent is because um, people around 1960, they began to look at the role of fat in cardiovascular disease. And um, I'm sure you and others are familiar with the name of Ansel Keys, who did the seven country study. And he was certain that saturated fat increases cholesterol and causes heart disease. And because corn oil and sunflower lowered the cholesterol level, he recommended that they substitute omega-6 for saturated fat. And in fact, he even moved on into trans fatty acids that today we know are extremely dangerous to health. In fact, they increase the risk of heart disease. So uh, one is that they were very cheap. They were easily available. And there were people at that time who pushed. There were strong personalities and they pushed for the incorporation of omega-6 fatty acids into the food supply. Now, I can tell you, I was at the National Institutes of Health, and I was the chair of the coordinating nutrition research at the NIH and the whole federal government. And when the data came out from one of the studies funded by the Heart Institute, 
It was called the Multiple Risk Factor Intervention Study, or Mr. Fit was the acronym. They were not able to show that the people who had lower cholesterol in their diet had necessarily less heart disease. And at that time, they felt that um, uh, it's important to set up the, the seven countries study and begin to understand what was going on. Because in the meantime, um, at, um, uh, in, throughout Europe, they were looking at data on diet and heart disease, and the people in Crete had the lowest rate of heart disease and cancer and live the longest. And so uh, Ansel Keys misinterpreted the data and, and thought that the reason the people in, um, in Greece uh, had lower rate of heart disease was because of the olive oil. And I knew when I was at the NIH at the time that that was not the case. And so I made it sort of my life's work to understand the components of the diet of Crete. And I did very extensive studies on the composition of the diet of Crete. And I found out that the diet of Crete was the only diet that was balanced in omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids that the ratio was anywhere between 1 to 1 or 2 to 1. And the other Mediterranean countries did not have a balanced ratio. However, Japan uh, was much closer in terms of the ratio to the people in Crete. They had a ratio of 4 to 1. It was, then I began to think what is so common between the diet of the people of Crete and the people of Japan. And guess what? It was really that the people in Crete had high amounts of omega-3 fatty acids in their diet, and so did the Japanese. The people in Crete ate a lot of sardines at that time and herring. And because there was no refrigeration, they didn't eat as much fresh fish. The Japanese are known, of course, to eat large amounts of uh, of fish. And um, I began to look exactly where else, in addition to the fish, these omega-3 fatty acids could be found. And to my great delight, I found out that the wild plants that the people in Crete ate, either in making pies or boiling them or eating them in the form of salad, they had what is known as a terrestrial form of uh, omega-3 fatty acid or alpha-linolenic acid um, in high amounts along with the antioxidants. And then I looked at some more data and the people in Crete had three times as much omega-3s in their blood as the other members who, of other countries, the other seven countries who participated. So it became very obvious that um, in addition to getting omega-3s from fish, you could also get the terrestrial form from green leafy vegetables, and you can also get it from snails or escargot, because the people in Crete are very fond of, uh, of snails. Uh, 
And having observed that, I noticed that the chickens, they were sort of free to move around and fetch for their own food. And they ate a lot of green leafy vegetables and worms. And so we've um, analyzed the composition of their egg and the chickens under complete natural conditions, they produce an egg that has a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 of 1, whereas the standard USDA egg in the United States uh, has a ratio of 20 to 1. So these were the beginning um, of this whole issue as to where the omega-6 and where the omega-3s are and why the ratio has changed and what are the side effects uh, of um, changing the ratio or increasing the amounts of omega-6 in our diet. Mm. I'm going to get to the side effects just now, but already what you said there about different sources of foods and how um, the people in Crete were exposed to multiple forms of ideal racial food from what you explained there with the eggs, um, that the yes. chickens were being produced, the wild plants that, that they were able to get the access to, and then also from the sea. Because I think most people, when they hear the word, uh, or they think of omega-3 oils, they think, is it just fish that I have to eat? But as you've well, explained, it's not just fish. I know. Um, I think what's very important to also know is that after the Second World War, uh, agriculture developed very rapidly. And a lot of the technology that they were using in the army was moved into the Department of Agriculture. And so people began to change animal feeds and to feed animals uh, grains, uh, including chickens. And grains are very high in omega-6 fatty acids. Uh, so not only they got omega-6 fatty acids from the use of oils and food technology and processed food, but they also got it from the meat of the animals being very high in omega-6, as well as the eggs from the chicken, as well as the milk, so that the, the, the food supply changed enormously at various levels as the result of um, uh, modern type of um, technology that would bring the animal to the market much faster, make more money uh, with it. Uh, and so... Uh, the animals that graze or animals in the wild, in their meat, they have omega-3 fatty acids. And the interesting thing for people to know is that under normal conditions, for example, in the diet of Crete, the omega-3 fatty acids were present in every single meal they ate. For example, they would have eggs for breakfast and the eggs would have omega-3 fatty acids. And then, let's say, they would have either herring or escargot and a salad for lunch, and they are very high in omega-3 fatty acids. And then, let's say, for dinner, they may have a soup that consisted of a lot of vegetables and um, possibly... Um, uh, small pieces of meat 
or noodles that were made with eggs and milk that that contained omega-3 fatty acids. So that this idea of the omega-3 fatty acids being balanced, the importance of cutting down on inflammation, the evidence that the omega-3 fatty acids were found in every single meal so that they maintain a very good level on a 24-hour basis are very important concepts. Just eating fish twice a week is not the same. Mm, that's a great tip already because so yeah some people may do that where they think well at least i just get uh, um, one or two servings of fish a, a week and that, hopefully that's enough omega oils naturally but well it, it's not because yeah uh, right now the ratio now in the uk is about 15 or 18 to 1 in the u.s is around 20 to 1 and there is a very interesting study where they looked for epa and dha on a worldwide basis and except for uh, countries that are, um, you know, like uh, uh, northern Scandinavia uh, and uh, places of the Faroe Islands or places out in uh, the South Pacific, all the smaller islands, uh, the rest of the world is deficient on, on omega-3 fatty acids. And they have excessive amounts of omega-6. And the reason they are deficient is because they change the composition of animal um, and dairy products and eggs by changing animal feeds. And so are you a fan then of sourcing grass-fed meats um, and poultry, as an example? Because uh, that's a big debate in the nutrition world. Well, should, should you spend I, the extra money for those? Think, I definitely think that animals should not be fed grains. Animals were never fed grains until about a hundred years ago. They, they would just graze and um, they had less fat and they had more omega-3s and they had a very small amount of omega-6. Mm -hmm. And and also when, when we're talking about the animal, um, are we talking about the full animal, so organs and meats and fats of the yes, animal? Yes, and of course the brain uh, has a much higher amount of DHA than other parts of the body, but, but uh, the muscle in the animal, whether it is uh, a sheep or cattle mm -hmm. or pigs, they, they have EPA and DHA in the muscle if they are grass-fed. Remember, under normal conditions, they were all grass-fed. We mm -hmm. changed their diet. As a result, we changed our diet. As a result, we changed the composition of our body, including our brains. Good. Yeah, so it just shows, again, when someone's looking to optimize their health, which a lot of people listening to the show are trying to do that, the source of the food is vital again, and we can look at it from a mega uh, 6 to 3 ratio the animals themselves and how that's passed on to us and right and i'd like to find out too you know there there is a big drive currently in the world for people to eat uh, just plant-based meals now either vegetarian or vegan based meals do you how do you feel that population is able to get uh, a good enough ratio from the food sources that they choose uh, vegetarians have a high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio and also, the women who are vegetarian and breastfeed, they have less omega-3 in their milk. 
human beings were not evolved to be vegetarian. They're omnivores. They were omnivores and they ate animals and fish and and seeds and, and green leafy vegetables and whatever fruit they could get. And their genes then were adapted or programmed to respond to this type of diet. Our genes were not programmed to respond to corn oil and sunflower oil and animals that are very high in fat and high in omega-6. Plus, you don't need to eat meat twice a day, you know. And algae oil? Because algae is used in supplements for mega oils for vegetarians and vegans. Do you see any uh, the, benefit the there? The fish oils, yes. Well, many vegetarians are so strict, I guess they're vegans, that they will not take fish oils that come from fish. So they will get um, the omega-3s, EPA and DHA from algae, mm. because algae by definition is considered a plant. And and that source of omega yes, omega three that's all you can get uh, EPA and DHA from algae. Yes. It, do you need, uh, do you need to consume it regularly? In, uh, in any pharmacy mm-hmm. or or store. Yes. Yeah, I'm just thinking again what you were saying with the people in Crete, how they had omega oils with every single meal to get that optimal ratio. Yeah, for... Yes, and remember the people in Crete, um, they used olive oil. They never used any uh, vegetable oils uh, until after, I would say, they joined the European community. And then they were obligated to, to get vegetable oils as part of their, uh, of their diet. Um, so uh, unlike the other Mediterranean countries like Spain and Italy, uh, where they they themselves grow sunflower to make sunflower oils, the Greeks never did. Um, so that's why they had a balanced ratio. If you use vegetable oils, it's impossible to balance the ratio. Mm-hmm. So you really need to use oils that are high in monounsaturates. For example, um, uh, um, you know, macadamia nuts are monounsaturates. And uh, filberts are monounsaturates. And now industry, you know, being very clever, they are they have developed, I'm sure you know that, uh, sunflower oil that is high in monounsaturates. So th- there will be more monounsaturate oils available for people to use if if they find the olive oil to be you know, a bit more expensive, which it is. Mm-hmm. And using other sources of uh, cooking fats like lard or butter? You can use, um, I'll tell you, you can use a combination of butter and olive oil. Uh, in fact, if you mix butter and olive oil and put it in the refrigerator, it solidifies. So you can spread it on your toast. And for cooking, you can combine a cheaper source of olive oil with canola, because canola has a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 of 2 to 1. So you you can have such a combination and do all your cooking with such oils. Okay. 
And um, yeah, because a lot of people, again, listening to this are going to wonder how do they get it up and the, the daily exposure. So I just want to move on to the side effects that you brought up a little bit earlier. What would some of the side effects be of having an uh, unbalanced ratio? So if your omega-6 is too high compared to well, your omega-3. The, the high omega-6 fatty acid increases the risk for heart disease, increases the risk of breast cancer. They're very good animal studies where the omega-3 fatty acids, they potentiate the effect of tamoxifen, for example, which is a hormonal therapy in women with breast cancer. So the omega-6, they increase inflammation. They increase the tendency to thrombus formation um, so that um, uh, a high omega-6 fatty acid in a person that has uh, a tendency towards heart disease uh, the omega-6 fatty acids uh, make dis um, they can dislog dis the uh, the plaque from the endothelium of the blood vessel and um, move it, so to speak, and become a thrombus, and then it can really give you stroke or um, myocardial infarction. So, so the the idea. Uh, of uh, having high amounts of omega-6 and having a pro-inflammatory state is an extremely important concept and a very dangerous situation because it increases the risk of high blood pressure, it increases the risk of uh, stroke, increases the risk of arthritis, where the giving omega-3 fatty acids it improves most of the inflammatory aspects. Now, there are some people who are having genetic variants, and some of these genetic variants, uh, they don't respond to omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, for example, there was a study from Europe where they noticed that in 3% of the persons with obesity, the omega-3 fatty acids did not decrease um, the appetite and did not um, produce weight loss. And when they evaluated them, they found that that 3% of the obese people, which is not a small number considering how many people are obese, um, had a genetic variant in the receptor. This is called GPR120 receptor, where the omega-3s are supposed to sort of lodge on it like a key in a keyhole in order to function. But if you have that genetic variant, you're not going to respond. But this is just the very beginning of studies to find out who are the people that genetically might not respond. It's going to be a small number of people, but I think it's important to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, uh, yeah. There's uh, there's always going to be variation in humans. Um, so that's yes. it is interesting because you know, definitely some people think, should I eat according to my genes? And in this eventually, case, eventually, I think all all of us will eventually. So so have you gone down that route then of doing genetic testing and saying, Matt, well, according to your genes, you would be more suitable to a fish diet, or you would be more suitable to a. Uh, uh, like a beef diet or a plant-based diet or something like that. Have you looked into that at all? 
you can you can think you know of all kinds of diets and all kinds of genetic variants, but that will take a long, long time. We're not near there yet. Okay, good. So, um, when you were talking about the side effects from having an unbalanced ratio, we're talking that it would take many years or decades until you may see the symptoms of that unbalanced ratio. When you were talking about arthritis and heart disease and some of the other mm-hmm. con- conditions there. Um, do you think also people would notice any difference in the short term of any sort, uh, like in under a year, if they started eating a bad diet other than maybe weight gain? Would they start seeing signs of inflammation that early? Right. Now, let me tell you, there are a number of studies in persons, for example, with rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease, and it has a very high inflammatory component. So since the omega-3 fatty acids are the most potent of all the nutrients to decrease inflammation, uh, there have been a number of clinical studies where when they used about 4 grams of EPA and DHA per day, um, these people had uh, less swelling, less pain, and a general improvement. And there are similar uh, studies uh, in patients with um, periodontal disease, which again is a, is an inflammatory disease. Uh, four grams of omega-3 fatty acids appears to be the appropriate amount because there is so much omega-6 already in our bodies. And just this past two years, about two years ago, they were able to show that four grams of omega-3 fatty acids in persons who had one episode of heart disease led to increased healing and less fibrosis of the muscle of the heart. Um, But smaller amounts that other people had used, like one or two grams, had no effect because they need not only to have um, enough omega-3s to balance the ratio, but they need to have almost an extra amount to be able to lower the inflammation. Mm. And and just a few months ago, there was another study where they used um, EPA. Actually, it was a pharmaceutical type of um, uh, of uh, nutrient production, uh, and it was very well standardized. And they also used four grams and were able to show a twenty three percent decrease in mortality from heart disease. So we have a lot of evidence that when it comes to chronic diseases that have a strong inflammatory component, that balancing the ratio and a bit extra of omega-3s are going to be needed in order to cut down on the inflammatory aspects and decrease the death rate. Mm. So that's just got me thinking there. So you can use supplementation uh, maybe you you do you do need supplementation in the beginning to help you if you have a ratio that's very high. But once you get closer to the one to one or one to, or two to one ratio, do you think supplementation would still be of benefit at that stage? Yeah. Yes, or, you need to maintain. You need to maintain the ratio. So yeah. as, that's why taking supplements every day becomes important. Because, you know, eating fish twice a week, I don't think it's going to have an effect because in between there are three days where you don't have any omega-3s and you have a body full of omega-6. 
So you either need to have a diet very similar to that of Crete, which is actually is the omega diet. Uh, and there, in all our recipes, we give the ratio and the actual amounts of omega-6 and omega-3. Or you go on, uh, on supplements. For example, I travel a lot and I cannot control um, all whatever I eat at restaurants or how the food is cooked. Although I'm being very careful still, I want to be sure that I have a balanced ratio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is the reality that um, when we're at home, we may be able to source uh, ideal foods. But when yes. we're on the move or we're in different countries, different cities, that we can't determine the food sources that the restaurants or the hotels are using. So this is a tip yes. that you would say that as to when supplementation is could provide a benefit. Right, you're absolutely correct, yes. Mm. Okay, perfect. And if we move on to, um, well, actually, before we move on to the actual test itself, one more question about the supplementation. Do you have any concerns about um, the rancidity of omega-3 supplements at all? You know, there's sometimes a discussion that the fish oils have gone rancid and they're actually not good for you. Um, do, mm. you do you ever look at that when you're choosing a supplement? Yes, well, well, let me tell you, um, as you know, the FDA does not um, regulate supplements. Mm. And so you either have to buy your fish oil supplements from a company that you feel comfortable with or you know uh, something about their products or have someone uh, recommend a friend who is taking those products. Uh, and and also, I think um, when the capsules, you have to look at them. They should never be cloudy. They should be clear. If it's cloudy, you don't want to take it. Okay, that's good. And um, as far as any other form of rancidity be, besides the cloudiness, it's very difficult to detect unless you open the capsule. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. But I have not really seen such problems. Okay. Uh, people, you know, rancid oils or, or anything like that. Now, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, increasing bleeding, which is not correct. What the omega-3 fatty acids do, they do not increase the bleeding time. Um, all of these chronic diseases and omega-6, they... They lead to thrombosis and coagulation and decrease the bleeding time. And what the omega-3s do is they bring it within the range of normal. I mean, people are with heart disease and they're on omega-3 fatty acids and they're being operated upon for, um, you know, to put in stent or to do... um, heart um, cardiac bypass surgery and they don't take them off omega-3 fatty acids so that's not an issue just people talk about it although they don't know they just talk about it yeah that's a good point you know so because that does come up that oh if you take fish oils it's going to thin your blood and you could take too much and it thins your blood too much but you're saying that's not the case they they don't thin out (laughs) but i know people talk like that yes yes yeah and uh, for anyone who is on an anticoagulant treatment like warfarin, um, 
Mm-hmm. Do you, do you okay. think even in so those cases? The doctor, yeah, the doctor ought to be aware that the person takes omega-3s and they ought to measure, you know, the coagulation time mm-hmm. and titrate appropriately. Okay. So it is possible to still take omega oils when you're on an anticoagulant yes, treatment. Yes, but I think they ought to be followed very closely by their doctor. Uh-huh. Yeah, because, because the drugs are extremely powerful. Mm. The omega-3s are much more, you know, milder. They modulate our organism, mm. where the drugs are very powerful. Mm. So moving on to the test itself then, how is the omega-6 uh, to 3 ratio test done? It's a blood test. Okay. There are two different ways that you can measure it. Uh, you know, when we eat fish or take fish oils, the omega-3 and the omega-6 fatty acids, both of them, they get into our bloodstream and they get on every single cell membrane in the body. Uh, so uh, you can measure what is called the red cell membrane phospholipids. In other words, how many omega-6 and omega-3s are found in the membranes of the red cells in the body. And that is a very accurate way to know. That's one way to do it. The, um, now, you know that the red cells live about 100 and to 120 days. So the omega-6 and omega-3 are around for almost 12 weeks. The ratio will change, though, within six weeks. You can lower the omega-6 with omega-3s within six weeks. The other way will be to measure the plasma, uh, which is a part of the blood that does not contain the cells. And that can change within 24 hours. Now, what is very important for all the studies that are being done in terms of human metabolism is to really measure the white cells or monocytes is another term for it. Because as you replace the omega-6 fatty acids, uh, let's say arachidonic acid, which is the most common one, with omega-3s, EPA and DHA, Um, the membranes of the white cells um, change and they begin to produce anti-inflammatory substances. And that takes about six weeks to get high amounts of the anti-inflammatory agents. So if you have arthritis and you take uh, omega-3 fatty acids, it will take about a month to begin to show changes in terms of less fever, less inflammation, less swelling, less pain. Okay. And these tests that you're talking about here, are they standardized if you go to a lab? Yes. Yes, there are all kinds of labs that will measure uh, the fatty acids and the ratio. Yes. And is there... So when it come, when you were talking about the plasma option and the red uh, blood cell option, is there yes, a different the, the way of pl- asking plasma, for it? Yes, same thing. Okay, so um, so it's just uh, uh, this um, it, if a 
if a consumer just went to their uh, family physician and asked, or they went, they had access to a laboratory, they would just ask for um, the omega three or omega six to three uh, blood test. Is that how they would ask for it? Well, there are two ways to to ask. One is they can measure all the fatty acids. Ideally, you should know all your fatty acids, and after that, you calculate the ratio. Now, there is another test that is called the omega three index that only reports the percent of omega-3s in the blood. And anything that is below 8%, it puts you on a dangerous category for heart disease. But the omega-3 fatty acids are not only to improve your, to lower your risk for heart disease, they are very important for growth and development, the aging process, very important in cognition, as well as chronic diseases. And for that, you really need to know all your fatty acids and specifically how much arachidonic acid is in your body in order to be able to know precisely how much EPA and DHA is going to be needed. And I think that one of the reasons that the, the earlier studies had problems is because they didn't use adequate amounts of omega-3 fatty acids. You really need four grams at least. Mm -hmm. so, it's not, so that's what I'm just thinking of practicality again, Wise, if someone is now wanting to optimize it and find out that they will start off with this base test and, as you said, do the, do the first option where you get all your essential fatty acids measured. Right. And, but then start with the four grams of supplementation and look at the way that you source your food and what, what you're eating daily, but then retest again in probably about eight weeks' time, would you say, two months' time, to give it time to then see what it's done yeah, to your, yeah, your ratio? Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Okay, and then once you can see that you're, you've changed the ratio to a degree, then you may extend it out another three months or six months and then retest well, again. Well, you continue. There's no reason to stop. Okay, yeah, and then... And then you would just, once you get it down to hopefully that two to one or one to one, I mean, practically. Yeah, automatically, how, automatically the ratio changes. Yes. Okay. I'd, I'd be interested. Um, how many people do you know that get their ratio down to one to one? Is that, does that still exist in the modern world? Well, mine is. <laughs> uh, practically everybody I know in the field, their ratio is down to one to one. It's balanced. Okay, so it's definitely possible still. Of course it's possible. <laughs> Good, trying to give people hope, and maybe even myself, I actually haven't tested it. Right, that. right, I've, right, yes. Yeah, uh, perfect. So, yeah, it's it's nice to hear that um, it is possible to change it quite quickly then and, um, and get to this optimal state too. Um, yes, remember, you need to change the oils. You cannot continue to use all these oils, mm -hmm. like corn oil. Mm. and uh, sunflower oil and safflower and soybean. Soybean has a ratio of 13 to 1. I mean, people in Europe never heard of soybean or soybean oil. It's a, it's a totally foreign oil for us. Yeah, and uh, that, this comes back to reading food labels and all the, the ingredients that food manufacturers put in there. And so when you do see a lot of these manufactured oils and you start mm -hmm. thinking, I'm going to have snacks of cookies or 
some other products that contain a, some of these processed oils, that's going to ha- hamper your, your success rate in getting the ratio down. Right. So uh, let me just mention this very important study that just came out actually from the National Institutes of Health. I, cons- I consider this study probably one of the most important studies ever done because what they did is they took um, 40 people and divide them into two groups, equal numbers of men and women. And um, the, uh, one group was put on the ultra-processed diet, which is what most people eat. And the other group was put on a minimally processed diet. And they measured everything very accurately. It was in a metabolic ward at the NIH. So their energy expenditure was measured, the oxidative state of their fatty acids and everything else was measured in detail. And at the end of uh, um, two weeks, uh, they noticed that the people on the ultra-processed food diet, they ate a lot more at a higher rate. They ate an extra 500 calories per day, and they gained two pounds. That's in two weeks. And they looked at the omega-6, omega-3 ratio, and on the ultra-processed food diet, the ratio was 11 point something, where on the minimally processed, it was five. And that really shook everybody up because this is the most accurate study I know. And it really shows that a high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio increases the risk of becoming obese, taking in more calories, and increase your appetite. And this happens because the omega-6 fatty acids are the parent fatty acids for the production of endocannabinoids. And the endocannabinoids stimulate the appetite center. So unless we change the oils, we're never going to have any changes in the number of people who are obese. To me, this is just the most fantastic study. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you there. So even if someone was doing a calorie restriction for to control their weight, um, the type of food that they're still eating matters here. It's not just about getting your weight down, but getting this ratio down at the same time. You can. I think that everybody should understand that the first thing they should do is to balance the ratio. Change the oils, eat less meat and more fish, a lot of green leafy vegetables. Mm-hmm. And what you just mentioned there actually got me thinking with the endocannabinoid system because, you know, um, I'm sure you've seen it in the U.S. now, CBD oil and other oh, products. Oh, yeah, but that, oh. that's entirely different. That's cannabis products. That, that's not the uh, endocannabinoids, which is the endogenous production, the production mm. of endocannabinoids in the human body coming from omega-6. And what the omega-6 do is they increase the tone of the endocannabinoid system. Okay. Excellent. So, again, that's, it just gets you thinking. So when people end up snacking on processed foods and they think it's just the, the sugars in them that make them so addictive 
and why they overeat them. It's not just sugar itself. We're even looking at this aspect of omega-6 is influencing the endocannabinoid system. Right. So I think that this study is going, that I just mentioned is going to continue because the next thing they're going to do now is balance the ratio and see if they can bring about a good change. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask too, um, would you see any natural fluctuations in the ratio over the year with seasonal changes? Or So the um, people who might live in different places around the world um, of course, you're going to have seasonality to your your food sourcing. Would the would the ratio have changed to evolutionary? Do you believe uh, the the ratio should remain balanced no matter where you are, because if you eat natural foods, non-processed foods, and avoid the vegetable oils high in omega six fatty acids, if you use olive oil. Eat fish and cut down on the meat, fruits and vegetables and green leafy vegetables. It's very easy to balance the ratio. Mm-hmm. And I also want to ask about lifestyle factors. So you touched on one of the lifestyle um, where people could be breastfeeding. So mothers could be breastfeeding their babies. Do they have a they have a higher demand then for uh, more omega three acid fatty acids during that stage of um, that they're going through? Well, um, during pregnancy, uh, you need to have omega-3 fatty acids taken by the mother because, you know, their diets are not that good. They need to have supplements of omega-3s then from the mother through the placenta goes to the baby and you get normal development of the baby and the baby's brain. Following delivery, uh, most women nowadays, I think, try to breastfeed. They either should take supplements or they should pay particular attention to their diet in terms of the amount of fish intake. You know, the, the omega-3 enriched eggs are based on our study. The model is the Greek egg that we described under complete natural conditions. So they can have omega-3 enriched eggs and they can have fish and green leafy vegetables and then they can use a combination of canola and olive oil. And then their breast milk is going to have adequate amounts for brain growth because you need the DHA for proper growth of the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's what I was just thinking too. So they, they get, there's a demand on their body to, to provide. And so do they need to then take a little bit more at that stage too, yes. it sounds like? Yes. And and do you think there's a difference between when if you if there's someone's in this situation um, between going with a supplement that had more DHA versus EPA or EPA versus DHA. Is it is it any? Well, problem? you know, yeah, you know, people are looking at the, the different effects of EPA and DHA, and there are some papers, but the, the the science has not really advanced to the point where you can very clearly say. Um, uh, that, uh, for example, EPA is best for the heart and DHA is best for the brain. Because really, people ate fish and fish contain both. So um, th- this idea of supplements and separating them uh, is more of a gimmick 
but there are not enough data to feel very comfortable. I, frankly, uh, take supplements that are both EPA and DHA, and sometimes they have alpha-linolenic acid in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so don't stress too much about trying to find something that's higher in EPA or higher in DHA. Just take a good supplement, if you're going to take a supplement or right. just Right, because the data are not very good mm-hmm. either way, you know? Okay. Yeah, because also just thinking, not just breastfeeding mothers, but I know people who may have eye problems. It was also marketed to people with eye issues to take omega oils to improve their eyes. Uh, well, the, the omega-3 fatty acids, uh, they seem to be beneficial in decreasing the rate of age-related macular degeneration. But, um, you know, the, the, the data, although they point in that direction, uh, they're they not that strong. But there is enough information to recommend that they take uh, fish oil supplements. Yes. Mm. But I think outside of just trying to look at individual conditions, what you mentioned earlier that omega-3 oils and getting your ratio in balance actually is just good physiologically for the entire system to get inflammation right. under control and pr- try help your physiology to maintain itself or repair itself. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Well, Artemis, uh, I hopefully um, have ans- asked enough questions for listeners. Uh, I think you've give, given us a thorough uh briefing about this ratio from the evolution side all the way to practical uses of it and i've really enjoyed um, hearing all the tips that you've had to share today for anyone who would like to maybe get in contact with you or follow you um what is the, what are the best resources that you would yeah, recommend? Well, well, yeah well, well you know we the book the omega diet um is um uh, although i did it 20 years ago is very much up to date because at that time I was at the NIH and I knew all the research that was coming down the pike. And that book has been translated into 14 different languages. So I tell people if they're interested, they ought to start with the Omega diet. Um, We really are so busy. We do not maintain a website, but under my name, there are, I write a lot and there are a lot of papers. And lately, the emphasis has been how uh, a balanced omega-6 to omega-3 ratio decreases the risk for obesity, because obesity is the most serious problem, and it involves millions of people, and the data are very good. And so um, that paper uh, was published in Nutrients, and uh, I think people can look it up under my name. Actually, it was the most cited paper for 2017, so I got the award for that. Oh, congratulations. And again, I, yeah. I mentioned that in your um, when I introduced you in the show. Just I, There's no way I could read all your accolades out that you've just done so much in your time. And as I said, if you search on PubMed about this ratio, your, your name is just everywhere because you are the, the person to speak to. Well, I, I know that people this past three years, they have been extremely interested because I get something like uh, 250, sometimes 285 readings and citations per week 
from various parts of the world. So I know that this is the hottest subject and people are very interested and it's important for them to understand the need to balance the ratio. Well, hopefully listening to your information that you shared today, people do understand that benefit now. And I just want to say again, thank you so much for giving us your time to share your information today. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) 